This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. And on tonight's episode, we have former Ring of Honor owner, current Ring of Honor ambassador, and host of Last Stop Penn Station, legendary, and I do mean legendary, Carrie Silken. Really happy, uh, and it's been a while since we've had my next guest on, and somebody I've known really since day one of the history of this show now going on 12 years of Busted Open, and that is, I guess your title, Ring of Honor Ambassador, but probably more importantly, host of Last Stop Penn Station, and that is the legendary Carrie Silken. <laughs> Carrie, how are you, man? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. In, in these troubled times, I appreciate the diversion, and uh, it's always good to talk to you and even get to see you. How about that? I know. Or, I mean, the uh, I guess the um, the one good thing about uh, everything that's going on right now is we all discovered Zoom. So we get to, we get to see each other's faces, um, and it's so, it's so funny. Like the two, the first two interactions I had with you, and I don't know if you remember. Uh, the first one was with Bobby Cruz, and it was at the uh, Manhattan Center. Yes. And Bobby Cruz got me to to be a a special guest ring announcer, and I remember you taking. Bobby Cruz aside, but yet still an earshot of of me, and you're like, "What, what are you doing? Who 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 the hell is this guy? You know, why, why are you doing this?" And then the uh, the second one is I remember you talking to our producer at the time, Mike Greker. Like you're like, "Where's Dave Lagreca?" And he pointed me out, and I just saw the look of disgust on your face. But I remember those were the first two interactions I had with you. Well, it's funny how memory is. Um, <laughs> why why were you the ring announcer? Oh, I think Bobby just probably had like he thought it was a good idea to like cross promote on busted gotcha. open that I was being a, a, a ring announcer. And I remember the last thing you said to Bobby was like, you know what? It, it's, it's not being filmed. It's not, it's not a pay-per-view or anything. So fine. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I also knew the value of the publicity. So no, you've been, you've been uh, a friend of the show for a long time, friend of mine. And um, obviously you and I have, uh, have spoken a lot, uh, during the last nine months during this pandemic. And it's been great talking to you and helping each other get through these really, really rough times. And one thing that's helped me as well, not just the personal conversations I've had with you, but the podcast, Last Stop Penn Station, because it really opened my eyes that there's there's definitely a lot of sides uh, to Carrie Silken. So, you know, talk about the podcast and, and why you decided to do this. Well, I was knocking around the idea of doing some kind of memoir for the long, for the longest time, well, the last 
number of uh, four or five years. And I've got my cousin, Mike G, who you might have met along the way. He used to be the publicist yes. for, uh, at Ring of Honor. But he was also, he's a 40-year uh, rock and roll, country music, metal writer. Uh, he published, has a published book, um, uh, Woodstock um, Return to Yasgur's Farm. You know, he was there. It came out a year ago. So Mike's got the credentials. And uh, so I accumulated uh, notes since like 2015. And we're not just talking about Ring of Honor. We're talking about my years leading up to Ring of Honor, my years, you know, I graduated high school in 1974. Jesus makes you sound so so damn old. But um, so we're talking about, you know, that era. Uh, I went down a dark road for a long time with uh, drugs, alcohol, um, and you know, working for club bands. We talked the other, you and I talked quickly, working for club bands, you know, just as a, a roadie or, or doing lighting. Uh, and, and then basically unemployable and uh, found my way into the ticket game, the street ticket game. We're talking about the mid eighties. And um, which of course, uh, you know, uh, eventually I cleaned up my act. I'm giving a real cliff notes here. But uh, I cleaned up my act and uh, which everything led up to me opening my own ticket agency and and then which was able to fund Ring of Honor. But here's the thing along the way on this journey, whether it's the the, going to see uh, we were just talking about Led Zeppelin, going to see Led Zeppelin or, or Alice Cooper, Welcome to My Nightmare or the Hoodoo and Quadrophenia. And then, you know, sort of in these characters, working with these bands and these clubs, and then some of my not so great times in the 80s, sort of doing nothing. I was like a neighborhood drug dealer. Um, And then then hustling tickets at the garden, by the garden. And it, it just didn't happen overnight. But the stories within that period of time and here's the thing, and you could under you could understand this, and, and many of your listeners can, but I don't think a lot of kids do. The characters, and we're not talking about a, a, a pro wrestling being portrayed character. We're talking about, and you know, Dave, it's like, hey, that Uncle Louie, what a <laughs> character he is. So there were these just glut of characters. In the seven, you lived, through, you know, I mean, uh, you're younger than me, but you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Pre-phone age, pre-internet age, people talk to each other. People just, it was just a different vibe. So I try to bring out in Last Stop Penn Station, sorry to take up so much time with this, my explanation, but try to dredge up the story of these characters. Yeah, these characters. People want to hear about the camel. They want to hear about Silent Sydney. They want to hear about Freddie the Weeper. They want to hear about you know my interactions with uh, only through only through the magic of drugs, uh, getting to meet you know the, the, being around Rush, being around uh, Thin Lizzy, Bob Seger, uh, Jethro Tull. 
and John Bellucci being with him. You know, uh, I, I don't want to use a, a very uh, unfriendly word, but a male groupies, you know what, is cocaine. Yep. Yep. So uh, everyone would want to meet the band, especially their favorites. So, and then of course, last stop Penn Station, a lot of wrestling. You know, I've been going, I've been watching wrestling since 1966. I've been going to the garden since 71. Uh, never, never went off my radar. You know, a lot of times you fade in, you fade out. Eh, I'd still make sure to watch it. It, even even at the lowest of my lows, um, which leads to Ring of Honor, and there's a lot of great Ring of Honor stories. So yeah, shut- no, 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 because I want to get into the Ring of Honor. Obviously, I want to get into John Belushi because your name was all over the newspapers when it came time for that John Belushi documentary. But I like what you were saying when you're talking about the characters and personalities, things that are kind of lost today because of the internet and. And one thing that I loved when I was younger was the process, the chase. You know, the the, the process in the chase seemed to be completely eliminated. Like, a lot of younger fans don't know, like, what it took to get tickets back in the day. Like, you know, it wasn't as easy as typing in, like, uh, in a search engine on on your computer. Like, there was trying to find that that ticket broker or waiting online at the venue overnight. Online at at, at Ticketrons or Ticketmasters in your day or maybe even at the Garden or Radio City or somewhere. Absolutely. Standing for hours on end. I remember seeing Deep Purple and at the, you know, the Capitol Theater in Passaic, like staying overnight to, to get the tickets, it, you know, well into even the, you know, into the 90s. I mean, that's how the only way you were able to get tickets you had to it's it wasn't who had the most money. It was who could outlast everybody else. Who was the one that was able on a, a February Tuesday night, you know, go through the cold and sleep overnight in order to stay online to get the tickets. And it sounds crazy now. And even at the time, I knew it was crazy, but you you had to get that ticket, which made you enjoy that show even more. Right. And and by doing that, you're at least paying face value. Yes, you're paying. You know, and at, at that stage of life, you're, you're not worried about time as much. You know, let's go party and wait for those deep purple tickets on that <laughs> horrible side road next to the Capitol. I know. Oh. Exactly. And, and, and to boot, you're fighting with the other guys like diggers, like they're called diggers, that the professional ticket, the guys that would pay. That's how I got started. You know, um, I didn't get started as a scalper. I got started as a digger. You know, a, a digger is a guy, let's make sure we pronounce this right, D-I-G-G-E-R, a digger. So a digger is a guy you could pay to stand online all night to procure the maximum amount of tickets. For example, at that Deep Purple show, I guarantee you there were diggers on that line. There definitely and the, was. And you knew who the perfect, they were, too. The perfect digger would be like, a trained monkey or a trained dog <laughs> who could just go up to the window with the go, go, I get 18 purple tickets. Give me the best, please. But yeah, so yeah, the, the process, forgetting the scalping aspect, the process, every it was just so different. And um, you were you've been blessed. We'd all like to be younger. 
Like, I think we've, you've been blessed and I've been blessed to come out of a different era that just has shown us, so, I don't want to keep overusing the word character, but just, you know, just, just some kind of mojo that's just different, doesn't exist today. Yeah, and and I and I'm hoping and you and I've had this conversation as well. Like I'm hoping once we get through the pandemic that that fans are going to appreciate the live performance a lot more. And like we'll get into wrestling cuz I think it's suffered in wrestling, but even more so in music. Like I have gone carry I, I have gone to see shows at the at the garden where I'm told to sit down. Like, you know, you know, like, sit down. You're like, what? I'm at a concert and you're right, telling me. It's a rock and roll show. What's yes. Yeah. But it, because you're getting people that probably were, you know, got it through a corporation or through their job or, you know, had the $250 to pay for a ticket to get their seat. And like when you've gone through the sacrifice in order to get a ticket, you're there. You're going to party. Plus, I also think that music is the live music scene has aged. You're not getting the young consumer anymore. You're getting the much older consumer that just wants to get in and get out and doesn't want to stay at the venue and have a party and celebrate the band that they're going to see. Now, those days are long gone. Do you remember the era? We'll even we'll bring it into, it certainly was 80s, 90s, when any concert you went to, let's you went to a number of garden shows, right? Yes. But like every concert, there was like a scene, you know, where you were old enough to like go there. I'm not talking about deadheads with, you know, camped out. I'm talking about just action and activity and the bars jammed and the streets jammed. Now, if you went to see even a hard rock if when they come back, but we're just going to use uh, Elton John or Billy Joel, which is not hard rock, but it's rock and roll. Bruce Springsteen say at the garden in 2017, you look like you're walking on an average night. Like you were just taking the train back to Jersey. Yep. You know what I'm saying, but if you'd have went to Springsteen in 1990 or 1998, even it was like, activity am i describing it accurately yeah you are the closest thing and i will give this band credit and their fan base credit in 2019 just before the pandemic i saw iron maiden in brooklyn and okay. every bar around uh barclays was was playing maiden music and everybody had their maiden shirts on and like it was a party in every bar around that that was probably the last time I saw something like that in decades, like I hadn't seen anything like that, um, especially at the garden, which I thought has become very, very corporate or even, you know, at, well, it's not even the Meadowlands anymore, but like when they would have it uh, at, at the rock, the Prudential in Newark, you just didn't see it. But, you know, I, I was, I experienced Iron Maiden back in 86 when there was the riots in the, in the parking lot where, you know, my brother's car actually got vandalized because everybody just went nuts or, or Ozzy Osbourne where everybody ripped up the seats and you're, I'm not condoning that behavior, but it goes back like every show that you went to, there was an incident. So, right. uh, it was yeah, an event. Yes. Um, and once again, breaking into the cars, is not, <laughs> but you know, but I mean, the, the garden, there was just this feeling 
like, you know, I've seen Rush there. I've seen Alice. I've seen everyone. I've been, I'm going to, and uh, I'll tell you when, when the music, you know, like there's that famous song, uh, uh, American Pie, you know, the day the music died for me was <laughs> 1989 or 91, I forget. At an Eric Clapton show at the garden, I got thrown out of the garden for smoking a joint. <laughs> I said, I said to the guy, and I, I was sitting, we were sitting and just we just went in, like we, we were sitting up top. Remember they, they called it the blues, the upper yep, level? The blue seats, and, yep. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, what's up, man? I, anyway, he goes, I you got I gotta take you out. I, I couldn't believe it. So as the guy's taking me out, he walks me down that, you know, the stairwells. Yep. As we're walking down, there's a guy taking a leak. <laughs> there's another guy with a girl. I'm like, hold on. I go, what? But anyway, it was just, uh, it's just different. It's just different. Um, look, but be, no matter what, we look forward to live music, live events yeah. uh, coming back. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Billy Corgan uh, said this and Billy Corgan, obviously, of Smashing Pumpkins fame, but also uh, most recently dealing with the, the NWA. He actually said something a couple of years back where he's like, you know, music's kind of lost that rebellion. And that gravitated him towards wrestling because wrestling in a lot of ways, especially on the indie scene, had that that rock and roll rebellion. And it, it brings me to Ring of Honor. And I thought Ring of Honor, especially in the early, early days, had that like punk rock feel to it. Uh, what got you involved uh, in doing Ring of Honor? Of course, you know, former owner of Ring of Honor. What got you involved in that? Well, I was... Uh... You know, I was an ECW fan because uh, wrestling in the early 90s between WWF and uh, WCW was so lame. And I sort of just, and I, that, would, that was probably my lowest ebb of my wrestling fandom, that mm. early 90s. But I discovered ECW. I met I'm, and, and through, through going to ECW, I met the guys that originally formed uh, Ring of Honor, and uh, I wanted to get involved, but they didn't really need me, you know, because prior to that, and you've, you've heard some of these stories, me and my aforementioned cousin, Mike G, the writer, did a wrestling magazine in Puerto Rico. So we tried to. We did four issues. But anyway, um, I cleaned up my act. My ticket agency was doing good, and um, – when the guys from Ring of Honor were going to open, or because uh, I I knew I knew Gabe and I knew Doug very well, the other guy I, I just hey what's up and um but anyway I went to them and uh, they didn't need my help, um fine so about a year into it they came to me obviously for financial help and uh, we worked out some terms. And then uh, the uh, incident happened with you, with uh, you know who, and uh, I, I. There were three choices that I gave him, Dave. One is a, give me back my money and I'll go away. Two is, 
let me just buy you out and and you know that's it see you later and c was excuse me c was if you don't do an a or b i'll sue you so anyway i i was not intending to, i just wanted to be a happy silent partner sort of going there the business model seemed good at the time but whatever it's strange it's it's strange because if that aforementioned incident didn't happen ring of honor would have went out of wouldn't have happened it would have went out of business because it just it would it, it just needed to we needed to make some changes so when i got full control of the ownership um besides you know gabe was very good with the booking he really was you know and he had his, his he had his eye on on the indies he knew which guys were good. It's it's evident from the first year of Ring of Honor with Samoa Joe and Low Key yep. and Daniels and Spanky and but but there was one thing they were missing, and uh, I as soon as I got involved, within a few months I started instituting, you know, rudimentary ring lighting, and the uh, the metal boards. I, I I was watching Raw one night. And you know, I I noticed that they had like a the uh, the guardrails were not guardrails; they were black at the time. And I'm like, wow, you know, I hate those bicycle rails. We've been looking at them at WCW pay-per-views for the last 40 years, or it, either they had nothing or that they went. I and and we had this idea about them, and. Uh, our old friend Sid had an idea about putting them on on sheet metal, and it, it happened organically. <clears throat> Excuse me. So between the lighting, the uh, and at first Gabe was like, "I'll oh, carry," and he's a rock and roll guy. Loves Slayer, loves this, loves that. So he's like, "Carry, we don't need the lights." I go. He goes, "We're just in." I go, "You're gonna like it," and. Uh, so what what happened with my era of Ring of Honor? It became a show. It's like when when you would go to when you go to a movie, if we can ever go, or you you go to a concert, or even at a Knicks game, the lights go out, and you know we're, we weren't going to rival WWE's production, that's for sure. But we did the best we could. Some moving lights, follow a guy running a follow spotlight, the ring lights. It looked good, and um, plus the uh, the talent was so good. Um, and to your point, which I took a very circuitous route, there was that punk ethic. There yep. was, if not punk, it was a family man. It was like we're all in this together. That's what, that's how Ring of Honor was. And I know it went through changes, you know, when Gabe left and, you know, Adam Pierce started booking, uh, it went through changes and then on to Delirious. But even during those times, uh, we'd lose Samoa Joe. We'd lose CM Punk. We're like, these guys are done. But then, you know, Aries, and Tyler Black and other guys, you know, Nigel, you know, start, start, are, are elevated. And 
we, you know, then we lost. You might even have been there. 2009, the night oh, that we yeah. lost Brian and Nigel on the same night. Yeah, I mean, I I was there for that. And, you know, it's funny you brought that up because that was something I was going to ask you about. I think one of the greatest pro wrestling feuds of all time is Nigel and Brian Danielson. I mean, th- what they were able to create in the ring is just is is phenomenal. I mean, they've done DVD sets of that. And if I was that if I was going to take a non-wrestling fan and give them a document on why I love pro wrestling, I would give them that DVD set of their feud to watch because it's simply phenomenal. Right. And absolutely. And uh, so for us to, you know, everything that happened from my beginning, now we're talking 2009, boy, are they putting a fork in us now? But uh, I got hold of Jim Cornette and uh, we got hold of homicide that night, if you remember. Double yes. surprise. Double surprise. You know, it was like a little magic trick. They're losing, <laughs> they're losing <laughs> Nigel and Brian. But it sort of worked. And at the same time, you know, Tyler Black, you know, you had Tyler Black, Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards, um, I'm leaving out names, Kenny King, uh, Claudio was there the whole time. Uh yep. just so many good guys. Roderick Strong. I never, I always leave him out. And, and the whole time, the Briscoes and Jay Lethal's coming back. And Cabana came back. And um, so, so po- point is, is that po- post uh, Gabe, not to just, there was still good Ring of Honor action. And there still is to this day. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Are you surprised, though, about the decline with Ring of Honor as far as in the eyes of a lot of fans? Because you just had, you know, in, in, in April of 2019, probably the biggest moment in Ring of Honor history, a sold-out crowd at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago I, we spoke to Matt Taven. And Matt Taven winning the championship in the main event at a sold out Madison square. Like that's gotta be the greatest moment in ring of honor history. No, uh, absolutely. It was the greatest moment of my life. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an employee of Sinclair and I'm nor am I, you know, I'm an ambassador. It puts me in a position of sort of being a shill, but I don't want to be a shill. Um, ring of honor. Uh, they were, the, the plan was to be on some sort of live TV mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the pandemic killed it. What station it was going to be. I don't know, but you know, Sinclair certainly has the resources and I think the ring of ring of honors as, as good as the product is right now. And if you get a chance, please, please watch it. If you don't have a Ring of Honor affiliate in your area, a, a Sinclair affiliate, it's on every Monday night for free on the website. You don't have to be an Honor Club member. And the wrestling is really good. I, and I, I'm going to get to your point about why it's uh, where we're at. But, you know, with, with uh, Roosh, you ever see this guy? Yeah, you know he's for that, yeah. Right. You know, and lethal and Rouge is the champion. Uh, he's been, you know, Brody King has been one of his menaces, PCO, 
you, you got Lethal and Gresham as the tag team champions. You still got the Briscoes, you know, like it was 2006, if not better. Uh, and, you know, Gresham also has the TV belt. And um, there's other guys. I mean, Dan, Danhausen has yet to be seen. Dalton Castle, you know, EC3. I don't want to go down the whole list. Tracy Williams, uh, Shane Taylor. There's some yep. really good talent. The, the only problem, and hopefully this will be remedied, is getting on live TV. That's it. Yeah, and and I think if that were to happen, I think that would would be, mad, would be angry at me for saying this because that's what they want to do. Yeah, and it makes sense because you need it, but also too, there's ways to get the product. Right now, streaming is very very popular. Like the rate, the old school ratings and all that stuff. That's that's kind of out the window. Like streaming is big. On my, I watch Ring of Honor on my Roku. There, there's a Roku channel for Ring of Honor. Like you said, every Monday night is a new show. So like on the website, you know, and there are a lot of Sinclair affiliates out there, but. I just think pe grabbing people's attention is the thing that you need to do. It's the best product that nobody is vested in at the moment. And Agreed. Because, I, I, I mean, if you – look, you and I know each other well, and you're not going to hurt my feelings. Do you think the show's okay? I do. I think the show's really good, or else I wouldn't be talking about it. And we, right. we, we try to talk about it as much as we can on Busted Open. I think a lot of it had to do with the timing, Carrie. It's just like you had the show at the Garden, but there was also the loss of Cody and the loss of the Bucks. Right. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and I think it was, it was just the timing of it. Um, but I, I think there's a way to get back there because you're right. There's been at least three times where everyone thought that Ring of Honor was dead and they find a way to come back bigger and better than ever. Right. And uh, so it, let's get through this uh, pandemic virus stuff. So uh, <clears throat> Ring of Honor has a, you know, it, it'll be a different landscape. How's that? Yeah, and also, too, I think it's important to mention that Ring of Honor has done a tremendous job of, during this pandemic, of taking care of their employees as well, taking care of Absolutely. their talent. Absolutely. I mean, once again, I'm not a Sinclair employee, but I'll tell you, if you were a Ring of Honor wrestler, and I could say this because uh, I know this for a fact, and you were under contract, and we're even talking about Guys like um, Mark Haskins and uh, the girls, uh, Moth Mart Session Moth Martina, Joe Hendry, this kid Slex from Australia who just can't get here. They've all gotten paid. Wow. You know Bobby Cruz. <laughs> Bobby gets. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's been stealing money for decades. <laughs> <laughs> But no, everybody's gotten paid. Joking about uh, Joe Koff and Greg, who do the, the regular operations, uh, they, and you speak to Joe once in a while, right? Yes, I love Joe. He's a good man. He's a good man. So um, yeah, but to get paid in wrestling for not wrestling, it's, it's, 
It just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, it doesn't happen. And I, and Joe Coff, like, he has a great tradition, the Battle of the Belts uh, back okay. in the 80s and stuff like that. So he has a, a true appreciation uh, for the history of pro wrestling. All right. Um, again, the name of the podcast is Last Stop Penn Station. And in regards to that, and you did an episode on it, and it's something that came up recently because the documentary was out there, and that is John Belushi. And you were, you know, you were a part of a, a huge newspaper article here locally in New York about it as well. You know, talk about talk about your relationship uh, with John Belushi. Well, it was it was a one nighter. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, and you could hear the full story on Last Stop Penn Station podcast, but we'll give you a real quick abridged version. 1978, about May of 78. Um, I'm 22 years old. I was, like I said, I was a half-assed suburban drug dealer. I'm going to mention him for the third time because he's an important character in my life, Mike G. He was the editor. Remember the old Aquarian, the East Coast rocker? Hell yeah, I do, of course. He's the editor for that for forever. Anyway, Mike has passes for some, un, it was some band doing a, 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 what do they call that? When they want to do a, a, try to get signed by a label, um, they're doing a showcase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was a club called Tracks. It was like in the 70s. Uh, it's 70 something on the west side and um, so I, Mike gave me these passes I don't know who this band was my friend and I go to there I had some packages blah 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 of, of, of some powder and um, so I knew what to do I'll go up to the sound man of the band and who I don't know but you know it's not like I'm going to be hawking it's not going to be hawking the stuff, right? <laughs> anyway, we're in the bar. The band's playing. I talk to the sound man. He says, yeah, 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 when, when the set's over, blah, blah, blah. So I go back to the bar. My friend says, hey, Carrie, that's John Bellucci over there. Now, I had mentioned earlier I was working with these club bands. I really wasn't around Saturday nights, Dave. So I'd, I'd heard of them and certainly knew Saturday Night Live. And I look over. And it was like a, a horseshoe bar. And here's this drunk. He, you could just see from seven stools away that this is an obnoxious guy. And he's with this other guy. The guy next to him is handsome with long hair. So I said to my buddy, I go, go see if he wants any. Right. So I'm not paying attention. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the band. And within 30 seconds, my friend comes back. He goes, hey, he just blew me off. I'm like, cool the set ends we go into the back the classic dressing room of a of a small club i guarantee you my little kitchen here or the room you're taping this in is elegant compared to <laughs> so now that you're now, so i go with the sound man and there's like 20 people in this uh, practically a closet the only thing in there Besides the room was a table, like a desk, and a chair, probably the manager's office. So he's trying this stuff, and I hear this voice. And it's like I could hear it like 42 years ago. I could hear it right now. It's like, just come out of the crowd. He goes, 
yo, you got a gram? And I look over and Bellucci is sitting in the one and only chair in the room with his feet up on the desk. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he gets up and he comes up to me and he's like, you got a gram? Got a gram? I go, yeah. He goes, you got two? I go, he goes, listen, now mind you, this is a Tuesday night. They're writing Saturday night. They're writing Saturday night live right now. Uh, I got to go down to NBC building. You come down there with me. So I get the money. He goes, because he tried it. And I'm like, I'm like Tuesday night. They're writing Saturday night live at 11 at night. Didn't add up to me, but it makes sense in the end. When are they going to do come checking in at nine in the morning to write it? You know, so <laughs> anyway, we go to the top of the, out of the club and Bellucci's with these two people that are, I'm going to use the word elegant for a second time, very handsome man and a gorgeous woman. And we're on the corner of, let's just say, 77th and Broadway and West End Avenue, uh, or what's the street that's along the park? Um, West, uh, by Central Park, when you, when you, uh, um, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right, where the Dakota is, that, that Yes, street. okay. Anyway, so we get to the top, and, we're, and it was nice out, and, and I'm like, hi, Carrie. So John and the other guy, Danny, uh, and then the lady, I forget her name. So my friend hails a cab and Bellucci says to him, no, you asshole, we need a checker cab. Because at the time, you remember the old checker cabs. They were the yep. large. If you had it had more than three people or four, you needed. You need the checker cab. Yeah. Right. So we hail the checker cab and. We're on our way down. Bellucci keeps saying to me, you got the shit, right? You got the shit. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So on the way down, this is interesting. I'm keeping my mouth shut and just listening. And I hear this guy, Danny. I don't know who he is. He goes uh, to his girl. He goes, hey, uh, tomorrow night when we go to dinner with James and Carly. And I'm like, all right. I know who James and Carly are, but I kept my mouth shut. We go to NBC, Bellucci signs in, uh, the guy's looking at us, the, the guard, here come these five vagabonds at 11.30 at night, even though this guy Danny and his, his wife were, looked okay, and Bellucci's nuts, and we go up to the 17th floor, and the, the elevator opens, and it was like everything's going on as far as all these writers, and it wasn't Lorne Michaels, but some of one of the producers sees them like, oh shit, right? <laughs> and that week, that was the week that Meatloaf was the musical guest, and Christopher Lee, who was in a million English, did Dracula roles. Yeah, he yeah, those all those old Hammer films. A lot of and he did some serious. Tried to Shakespeare. Yeah. He was the guest host. And this producer guy, and I'm standing there, the producer, uh, John, John, uh, your guest host is here. And there's Christopher Lee. Now, if you could picture a guy wearing like a $10,000 suit, and you know, Bellucci's got a, a, a Rolling Stones t-shirt on that's stained. <laughs> and, and 
Christopher Lee's tall and he had the hair and the beard and every hair. And it's like, Bellucci's like, uh, hi. And, and he, he shakes everyone's hand. And I remember I was the last hand. I'm looking at this guy. And Bellucci's like, come on. And he, brought, he brings us in his office. I give him the stuff. He scrambles to go get the money. And he did. And we're in the office while he's running around. And on the wall... The wall, it was bright blue paint, Dave. And I, someone took a magic mark. Well, I'll tell you who, not someone. Written in magic marker. Big. Said, like if I went over to the boat. John, comma. Glad you could read the writing on the wall. Signed, Chevy. <laughs> so, I'm, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and none of the other stars were there. So... While I'm waiting for um, uh, Bellucci to come back, and we're, we're and we're doing the stuff, and this this nice man, I said, yeah, I said, Danny, I, I go, uh, I go, what do you what do you do, man? And he goes, I play guitar. I'm like, all right. And so, as the night, we were only up there for about a half hour. Bellucci comes back with the money. He was rude. He was obnoxious, and this guy, Danny. So I said, well, like, I'm a big music fan. I go, like, oh, I work for bands. I do lighting. Right? You know, like, right. I go, well, he goes, well, I just finished doing some stuff with uh, Jackson Brown. And uh, I have some sessions with James. T I'm like, bro. So who he was, was Danny Korchmar, who, if you look up, it might not be a familiar name to you, or, but if you look on any James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Carly Simon, Linda Ronstadt, um, that whole any remember about ten years ago, Carol King and James Taylor toured. Yes, he was the guitar player. And so it's all that like Southern California music exactly. scene from the seventies. Okay, guy, you know he's done stuff with everyone. Not you know that that group certainly, but he's the man. And he's still around. And what a nice guy. So we decided there, there's more. I could keep going with the story. Go, go, please. So, I, Jeff and I knew it's time to get out of there, right? And uh, so we, we, we tell these guys, thanks, nice meeting you, blah, blah, blah. And Bellucci says, listen, let, let me walk you. He goes, boys, let me walk you in the elevator. <laughs> And, and, you know, this is 1978. What, how old was he when he died? He died in what? 80, 83. He died, I think. Yep. Yeah. So, so I think he was just like his early, he was in his 30s. Maybe he was 30, 30, 31, something yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely his early 30s when he passed. Yeah, so he walks us to the elevator and he's short. I mean, I'm not tall, but he's, he must be like 5'5". Five, five. And he puts his arm around me and he puts his arm around my, my, my friend Jeff who I was with. He goes, hey, boys, do me a favor. I, don't, 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 don't mention this to anybody. And we're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Well, the elevator comes, doors close. We're like, wow, right? <laughs> so we go, back to, we go back to the club, the, the tracks, and um, there's more. <laughs> he, he comes back. The tracks with the with with Danny sent the wife home. 
Now, him and Danny come back to tracks. Um, and Bellucci comes up to me and says, I want to talk to you. And well, like now we're like, we're, we're like, we own the place. We go in the manager's office. There's no, you know, the band's playing. It's like, <laughs> just go in there. So he's like, look, let me get a couple more grams. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, he, he goes, I, I don't, he, he says, I don't have the money though. I go, and Danny, this Danny guy is Danny saying to him, John, cool it a minute. And Bellucci's like, look, you know you where you could find me. I'm like, bro. So Danny, Danny was very nice. And he says to me, look, Carrie, he pulls out his room key. I'm staying at the plaza. I'll leave an envelope there for you tomorrow, two o'clock. This is not common business practice for selling drugs, right? <laughs> But he was such, he you know, it was just one of these things where you got to go with your gut. And I was just like, I doubt this guy is going to, you know, it's a fake room key from the plaza. I'm certainly not going to go running around NBC building trying to find Bellucci on 1130. But this is like, and and this Danny was, look, I know it's unusual. Da, 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 I'll be there. Da, 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 da. And I, I, I did it. And the next day when I went there, there at two o'clock, there was an envelope for me, but it didn't have any money in it. It was a note. He says, Carrie, I'm so sorry. I, I'll see you at four o'clock. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. And I went, I said, all right. So four o'clock, I go back in the lobby at the plaza. He's standing there by the, near the front desk, long hair guy. And uh, he says, Come here. he goes, let's walk outside. And uh, he gave me the money. He gave me an extra 50 bucks. And then he says to me, you've been so nice. I really appreciate you doing it. I go, that's all right. You know, it's cool. Um, he goes, listen, uh, I hate to ask you for anything else. He goes, do you have a little bit of weed? I go, yeah. He goes, I'm going to dinner with James and Carly. I say, yes, <laughs> sure, go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. What a story. What a story. And then, and then there you are, you know, telling that story again, you know, th you know, 30 years later, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to John Belushi. Um, yeah, he was an animal. <laughs> oh, by the way, that was the night, speaking of animal, that was the night he had come back from making Animal House. Wow. As, as I further learned after talking to Danny the next day, how I was like, how the fuck did you hook up with, how did you hook up with him? Because <laughs> uh, they were so opposite. You know, he goes, yeah, well, I knew him. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, but um, a classic story that can only be heard besides uh busted open on last stop penn station <laughs> that's right and again last po last stop penn station holded uh hosted by you and and ian as well the, you both do a fantastic job on the show and that's available everywhere that you can get podcasts so uh i really appreciate it carrie and and god bless and thanks for everything 
You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.